open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And at the same time, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is very easy to find. It's right next to 2 John and 3 John. It's right at the end, right before Jude and Revelation. So if you go toward the end of your Bible to 1 John and then go to chapter 4, we're going to be diving in there today. We were trying to do that last week, but uh, we ran into a, a, you know, some, some time constraints. Sometimes I wish I had two hours to preach. But um, like one pastor told me one time, he says to me, he says, I asked him, so how, uh, how much time do I have to preach? He says, you know, you can preach as long as you want, but just know that everybody goes home at 12 o'clock. So you can keep preaching if you'd like. So anyways, uh, we are going to preach. Uh, we're going to start on back to where we were at last week. And basically, we're just going to go over the same thing. You know, it's uh, the, the, just to review what we went over last week, talking about how to test the spirits. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is something that we need to do. We have to recognize that in today's culture, we have so many different voices, so many different words. A friend of mine posted on his Facebook page. He said, actually, it was Instagram. And it's some to the effect of uh, there's a, a person there that says, you know, I, I'm very spiritual. And his response was, well, the demons are spiritual also. So which spirit are you following? Which spirit are you trying to emulate? Which spirit are you trying to copy? And the one thing that we know about God and Satan, there's only two religions in the world. You might say there's 3,000, 4,500, as Google might say, but there's only two. There's God and there's Satan. And what Satan has done from the very beginning, he's tried to do, what he's tried to do is try to pervert everything that God has put together. And so everything that God has instituted, Satan goes up against it. And he'll do whatever he can to make sure that that God's word is not listened to, or if it is listened to, it's not listened to in its entire intent. You see, the best way to get a lie going across is start with a little bit of the truth. Actually, a lot of bit of the truth, a lot of it. And you start by you know, sharing the truth with just a little bit of a twist to it. And uh, we see that in the Garden of Eden. In the book of Genesis, if you'd like to turn there with me, but in the book of Genesis chapter 3, and, uh, and, and then the fall of man, we, we see and we realize what, uh, what took place in the garden. In the garden, <clears throat> and it's called the fall of man in chapter 3, it starts off by saying, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. The serpent is referred here and, uh, as the serpent, but we know that he is Satan himself. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now that's the truth. God did say, you know, you cannot, you cannot eat of these, this one tree. There was two trees in the middle of the garden. And this is what God told Adam. Uh, I, I want you to eat from any tree that you want. Any tree that you want, but I want you to stay away from that one tree. And so what Satan does, he, he brings the truth out. God said you shouldn't eat of that one tree plus of no other tree as well. And so what he does, he starts to distort the truth. And this is how he has always played, even, even with Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ, when he was being tempted, he did the same thing. You know, turn that bread, turn that stone into bread. Why not? I mean, you're hungry. You can do anything you want. And Jesus Christ always responded with the Word of God. Now, the smart thing for, the, for Adam and Eve to have done here is to respond with, no, no, God said we can eat of any tree. As a matter of fact, that's what she tried to do. And uh, verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat of the fruit 
of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And that's the second thing that happens. We add to scripture. God never said you couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. But by implication, that means you shouldn't touch it as well. I mean, and so some people try to blame her for adding words, but in, and that's exactly what she did. All she needed to do is, as God said, do not eat. And that's it. Don't do it for no other reason. But see, as the story goes along, we start to realize that Satan says, oh, OK, you know, I understand. Uh, and, and then so, but the serpent in verse four said to the woman, you will not die. In other words, God wouldn't do that to you. Why would God kill you? I mean, really? God is going to send you to hell? You know, he wouldn't do. He's a good God. And so he is sharing truth with the mixture of lie because God is great. God is awesome. God is good. God is love. But he's also just and he must punish sin. And thank God that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. So therefore, Jesus took my sin. He punished my sin and he placed it upon Jesus Christ. And he took Jesus Christ's righteousness and placed it upon myself. And see, that's been the gospel from the very beginning. From the very beginning, it's always been that God's grace is sufficient. Yes, Adam and Eve, by all rights, should have died. But God extended his grace. He didn't change his mind. He didn't all of a sudden realize, oh, I messed up. No, he extended his grace and covered them. But going back to verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what Satan did is he, 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 he was appeasing and he was trying to get to our vanity. And that's what he does. You want to make your own decisions. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. You want to be the God of your life. And so when you come to church, or you hear the word or you hear the scriptures and all of a sudden it says something to the effect of, you know, that here is what here are my parameters. I don't want you to step outside of this boundary. He told the Jewish people the same thing. These are the holidays that you are to celebrate. These are the foods that you can eat. Here are the customs that you can do. You circumcise your child, your son at eight days. Here are, here are just the parameters that you have. And, and I want you to live inside of those parameters. That way everybody else can see that you are different. You take the Sabbath day off and, and you worship God and God only. And everybody would look from the outside in. You guys that are very peculiar people. You guys are, you guys do what? You don't eat, you don't eat shrimp? Come on, who doesn't eat shrimp? You don't eat lobster? I'm sure glad I'm not a Jew because uh, I would have been gone a long time ago. You don't eat, you don't eat carnitas? You don't eat pork? Come on. Everybody eats pork. Everybody eats a taco de carnitas every once in a while. No, we don't because God said not to. Well, that's kind of strange. Why would God not want you to have fun? You mean you cannot have two or three or four wives? You cannot have sex outside of marriage? Why not? You mean you cannot marry another, a man can't marry a man and a woman can't marry a woman? What kind of a God is that? And you see, little by little, it starts to accumulate and the world starts to dictate what the word should say. And when we think about our culture, we need to think about what did Christ say? What did the word of God say? The word of God is Jesus Christ. And we are giving these parameters to live within, within so that we will be a peculiar people. We are a different type of people. And what Satan has done is he's come in and he's infiltrated the church. Now, I've been hearing this word quite a bit. Maybe you've heard it as well, that the church has gone woke. You might have heard that the culture has really infected and influenced the church. And as a matter of fact, there are 
councils and there are groups of people that have come in together and, and they are now promoting you know, this agenda, this liberal agenda. And they're, stay, they're going away from Scripture further and further. First, it's just this one little act, and then it's something else. And, but if you stick to God's Word, you'll see that it's totally different from what the culture is trying to give us. The world is not our home. And so when we started talking about this last week, we, we went and we're just going to do a really quick recap from last week. Number one, uh, well, let me read this first. Uh, first Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and on. And it says this, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from, from, uh, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you and completely may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under oath before God to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to be able to read and to understand what it is that you've called us to do to uh, not to quench the spirit, to not despise prophecies, but to test everything. And here, Lord, is where we stand. How do we test the things that are around us? How do we look at and see what's genuine and what's not? How do we look at that, those, those, uh, those doctrines and those teachings that, that they may be hearing even here today? How do, we, how do we distinguish between the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist? I pray, Father, that you give us discernment like only you can. As you lead us, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. As we talk about the Spirit, we talked about not quenching the Spirit. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit's responsibility has always been to, to convict the world of sin. And we went over some, some, various, uh, some various parts of the Holy Spirit last week on what He does and how He leads us in, 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 uh, in understanding His role as, uh, as God's third person of the Trinity. It is difficult sometimes to, to understand the Holy Spirit as a person because, well, most people don't want to see Him as a person. And what we try to do is we try to equate it. And, and the reason Paul is talking about this is to test everything because as we'll see in 1 John, in 1 John there was this idea that, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't really a human being, but He looked like something of a human being. There was this teaching called Gnosticism, and it's kind of prevalent today. You'll see it in a lot of the sects that are out there in the various, various religions and whatnot. But Gnosticism was basically that God is good, He's pure, and everything God, God has done, and His wisdom, His word is pure, and, and it cannot be defiled. And therefore, in order for me to get to know God more, I need to know more of God's word. And the more of God's word that I know, then the closer I get to God. And so because it's the spirit that really matters, the flesh doesn't matter. Everything that you can see and touch is evil, including the flesh. My spirit is going to God, but my flesh is going to be burnt off, which we know this. However, in Gnosticism, because it's the spirit that you want to go to heaven, you can do whatever you want with the flesh. You can eat as much as you want. You can sleep around as much as you want. You can do whatever it is that you want to do to the flesh because the flesh was evil. When Jesus came down in the flesh... Their understanding of Jesus Christ, this Gnostic teaching, was that he cannot be flesh. Because our understanding of who God is, he, he's, he's got to be an emanation or a force that just came down from heaven. And he's like 
of human being, but he's not. As a matter of fact, they would teach and preach that Jesus Christ really didn't walk on the earth, but he kind of glided atop, atop of the planet. And they were, they were, it was kind of a, this idea that Jesus was super, and we have pictures of him, in a sense, you know, walking over the water. That explains the water. And these halos that, that have him, how he, how he emanates this glory and this, this power that comes from him. But Jesus Christ, have no mistakes, that Jesus Christ is man, and he is God. And we try to explain this in so many different ways. In this, this whole process of Gnosticism, because everything was evil, uh, it, it was God that sent these emanations, you know, these, these pulses or this force that he would send from heaven. One of those forces created the world and the world is evil. One of those forces was evil and became Satan. And one of those forces or emanations was Jesus Christ. And so they had this whole philosophy and theology of how God had created everything through these emanations or these pulses. And they were teaching this within the church. Yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he wasn't really a man. See, he had to die as, as an emanation as, and to try to make us closer to God and know his love and know his spirit, know his wisdom. And so Paul was teaching against all of this. John, we'll see in just a little bit, was doing the same thing. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus was man. And we try to explain it in such ways. And we, we have this feeble mind to be able to comprehend what the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and God is. We know that God is three in one. You know, and, and somehow people do something to the effect of, well, the, these emanations, he was like God. Docetism was the doctrine or the philosophy that was being taught at that time. He is like God and he is like man, but he really wasn't man, but he was really God in the spiritual and kind of you can see him and you can touch him, but he really wasn't man. Another, another heresy that was being proclaimed was modalism. And we, we hear that quite a bit in today's world. Modalism is that God is in three different modes. Like for instance, one, one example that is being perpetuators are talked about in today's culture is like for myself me I am my mother's son and I am also my wife's husband and I'm also my children's father you know son father and a husband you know three in one that's how you explain the trinity again that's not what the trinity is the trinity is three distinct people God as a person, as God the Father, Jesus as the Son, a second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit as the Spirit, the Counselor that is here with us. And He is the third person. Now, how do you put those together? It, it, it took years, 320 years after the birth of Christ, the Council of Nicaea, after 300 years of fighting this out and re reading this over and over again. It didn't happen overnight. They came up with the concept of He's got to be a triune God. That's the only way to describe this and explain this. But the word Trinity is not in the Bible, they would say. Yeah, but, but the way it is, look at the, all these verses. And for 300 years, beloved, they didn't just come up with it in one day. It wasn't one person. It was a council of writers and people. This docetism doesn't seem to work. This modalism doesn't seem to work. It just, it, it's not, and, and they would have all these various heresies. Now, please understand that as everybody was working through this, what they were trying to do was to, uh, they were trying to protect the unity of God. The unity of God is God is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Alachenu, our Lord, our God. The Lord, Adonai Achad, the word Achad, the Lord is one. The word Achad in Hebrew is a plural word. Achad means many or much. And so they would say, well, God is all kinds of things. You know, and, and in Hebrew, they didn't quite understand this triune God when the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. 
when God spoke. And it wasn't until John came out and says, yeah, that word that God spoke, that was the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and it became flesh. And so you start to see this triune God in scripture as Jesus Christ portrays it. The Holy Spirit comes down and gives understanding, leading men to all truth. And as it was put together and, and as, as we're starting to understand it, they, they said, this is, this is the only explanation. He is three people. He's not just the one. He's, he's God, but he's also son, but he's also spirit. He's also counselor. And this one God is not that we have three gods. We have one God. But he comes to us in three personalities, in three people. That's why we sang, holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. That's who he is. And this spirit that Jesus Christ left, going back to John chapter 14. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Because this spirit that Jesus Christ left, there, there are things that we, we needed to understand last week that Paul is saying to the people in Thessalonica, do not quench this spirit. Don't, the Holy Spirit now resides in you. If you've committed your life to Christ, He is in you. He is in you and He has given you new life. And it is kind of strange for people to talk about the Holy Spirit because some people have this, yeah, I, don't be, I don't want to be like that. I, I've been to churches or I've seen people that, that have supposedly are filled with the Spirit. and I, I, I can't do that. I can't speak in that, whatever it is that they're speaking. It scares me. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, yeah, you know, if you came together as a group and, and everybody was speaking in tongues and a new believer, a new person walks in, wouldn't he think that you guys were crazy? And that's kind of what it is that sometimes I would feel. As a matter of fact, there were times that I would feel like I was left out when I first became a Christian. How come I can't do it? Why can't I get that, that you know, and, and they would coach me. Look, just say this, just say this, just say this. Just continue to say it. And, you know, the closest I came to was, you know, I bought a Honda. I should have bought a Harley. I don't know. And just, yeah, there you go. Say it over and over again. Say it faster and faster. I bought a Honda. Should have bought a Harley. You know, and, and, and no, that's not the way it works. But that was the way they were trying to coach me into doing this. And I just finally just said, you know, I got to go talk to my pastor. And I thank God for my pastor. He sent me to the, the word. And he says, look at what the word says. I want you to read this. I want you to read it carefully. I want you to understand it. Because the Holy Spirit's responsibility, what he is to do, he regenerates. He makes people new. That's the one thing he does in John 3, 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's, that's his responsibility. He regenerates us. He releases believers from slavery. We read this last week, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has not done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, what He does is He releases you from this bondage of sin. He resides within believers. The Holy Spirit resides within you. Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. He, he, he resides inside of you. And if you don't have the spirit within inside of you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit empowering you on a regular basis, helping you to make wise decisions, then you'll, you're not going to make wise decisions. I'm constantly asked, you know, why am I always doing these, these things that I don't want to do? Why is, well, you know, have you committed your life to Christ? Yeah, I raised my hand, came forward. Yeah, I'm no, but, but are you a child of God? Well, of course I am. Everybody's a child of God. No, either you're a child of God or you're a child of Satan. That's it. I mean, there's no, there's no middle ground. Jesus was very clear about that. 
And in order to be, well, I've committed my life to Christ. Okay, what does that commitment look like? See, I can tell you that I'm a, a cook, a chef. I can tell you that I've been to the greatest schools. I've gotten certificates on my wall. I can tell you that I've sat under the greatest teachers. I can tell you that all these things that, uh, that I've learned and how you know, I got pictures. and you know, I even got the biggest books. I got the biggest books to show you how, how, how important I am and how much I've learned. And so you come over to my house and I feed you this meal and you say, now, what school did you go to? Really? You know, this just does not taste good. How is it that you, and, and you would automatically realize this guy is not a chef. <laughs> he might say that he is. He's, he might be going to the best schools and the best places and the best restaurants and sits under the best teachers. But this man does not know how to cook. Yuck. You know, and as a matter of fact, I, I think I cook pretty well. You know, but I didn't go to school for that. I went to school for God's word. You can tell me anything you want, but you know what? What's your life really reflect? Oh, I'm a Christian. Remember, we talked about that here a few weeks ago. I'm a Christian. I believe in, yeah, but are you a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? Anyone who does not pick up his cross daily and deny himself and carry his cross cannot be my disciple. You've got to pick up that cross. In the cross, in Jesus' day, they understood what it meant. When Jesus says, you got to pick up your cross, they didn't go out to the jewelry store and find the, the greatest, biggest cross, one made out of gold, had diamonds. They didn't go out looking for one with a big chain, something huge so that they can, they can put on the, around their neck, put on their walls. It wasn't a cross. They, they knew exactly what that meant. The cross that they had to look for was something like this, actually bigger. They knew when Jesus says, you got to pick up that cross. Oh, you really? Because they knew. They knew that the cross doesn't compromise. They knew that once you picked up that cross, that was it. They knew that once the cross was carried, it was carried to the mount, wherever it was, that they were going to crucify you. It required your life. Picking up your cross, they understood that there is no turning back. There is no way of putting it on somebody else. There is no way of changing your mind. There is no way of faking it. When you pick up that cross, Jesus says, it's, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Our easy Christianity of today will tell you it's okay. You're a work in progress. Don't worry about it. Just come to church and we'll make you feel good. As long as you feel good, then you can leave here feeling just as bad as you did when you first were here. With no change in your life. See, being a disciple causes you to change your life. Always. Yes, sir, brother. Stand up for that. Amen. <laughs> and when, when, when you understand... the the call of a disciple. See, Christianity is easy, but a disciple. And there is a difference. And I, I have a hard, uh, a hard time trying to distinguish sometimes by a person that calls himself a Christian. Because I'm looking for disciples. Jesus Christ is looking for disciples. And as I mentioned to you, we're going to start a discipleship ministry here in October. We're going to go through some essentials that are, I believe, very essential that a disciple of Jesus Christ, as he taught his disciples, one of the first things he taught them, he says, they asked them, Lord, teach us how to pray. We're going to learn how to pray. Not that you don't know how to pray already, but we're going to be praying. Lord, what should we do? Go and make disciples. We're going to learn how to make disciples. And, and we're going to work on discipleship really real disciples. You see, because what the Holy Spirit does, He gives you gifts. You have a spiritual gift and it's in you already. He's there. there the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the, but the same Spirit. 
Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is he seals you for eternity and who has put also his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts. Uh, he sanctifies believers. He's made you separate. He separates you, makes you different. And such were some of you, Paul says to the people in Corinth. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And Paul just gave them a laundry list of you were, you were liars, you were adulterers, you were fornicators, you were uh, uh, having sex with the, the, the same sex and all these various sins that he was just pouring out. And then he says, and so were some of you. You were like that. And then, he, and then he finishes off by saying, and, and some were said, but you were washed by the blood of the Lamb. Your sin was just washed away because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only one that we focus on because once you were washed, you were sanctified. It's kind of like washing dishes. And it's the terminology that he's using here. You get your dishes, you wash them, and you put the clean ones on this side, and the dirty ones are still on this side. You've sanctified or set them apart for very specific use. Some of you might have platters and plates and dishes and utensils that you only use on special occasions, like for Thanksgiving or for, you know, for Resurrection Sunday meal or, or maybe a wedding that you'll only pull out for special occasions. We just use paper plates for everything. But anyways, but they're clean. <laughs> they're not used. And what we do, you know, we do have a, a good assortment of dishes. But what we do is we set apart and they're set apart for a very specific purpose. That's what you've been. You have been set apart. You've been given a gift. The Holy Spirit has set you apart, has sanctified you, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to help you to see the truth. His truth <clears throat> is, to, is to show you what Jesus Christ had said. He will remind you of all truth. He convicts the world of sin. You know, the Holy Spirit, when he, when he resides in you, when you see the Holy Spirit within a church, within a body, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to convict you, convict you, convict you. And some people have left you convicted, saying, man, you're very negative. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not me that's being negative. It's you that you are not receiving the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Most people would rather stay in their sin. You know, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, just stop convicting me. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you, convicting. That is his responsibility. But the one point that I really want to make that we made last week is, is what, what Jesus said in John chapter 14. When he talks about the responsibility of the Holy Spirit, what he is to do is he is to point people to Jesus Christ. His responsibility is to not focus on himself, but to bring people to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And what Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ said about the Holy Spirit, when I send him, he will not speak on his own accord. What he will do, he will give, he will give glory to me and he will show you who I am. He will give glory to me, Jesus Christ says. He doesn't bring glory upon himself. Now, there have been churches and denominations and groups of people that bring all the attention upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as I'm trying to share with you, I understand that He is a, a very important part of the Trinity. He helps us in, in everything that we just talked about. But His role as the Spirit is to point people to Jesus. That's His whole role. When people, if the Spirit is pointing attention upon Himself, that's not of the Spirit. 
that's not of the Holy Spirit. When everything is about the Holy Spirit, fill me, touch me, help me, give me, uh, heal me. It's all about me, me, myself, and I. See, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to point people to Jesus. And one of the things that we learned last week is I asked the question, why? Why only Jesus? Because he's the one. He's the one that finished the work. He did the work on the cross, not the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ himself gave himself on the cross. And the Holy Spirit's role is to point people to Jesus. Now, when we have, and I don't understand how it is people don't catch this, but when we have this type of doctrine or teaching within the world, again, I have to go back and start going even further back to Genesis chapter 3 on how it's, it's got truth. But you know, there's just a little bit of mixture of error in there. And the Holy Spirit will not do that. As a matter of fact, I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit to see how His responsibility and role has been misused and manipulated and how it's been misunderstood. And Jesus Christ is put to the sidelines or to the background. Very little, if any, attention is given to His work, His saving work, the cross, His propitiation, meaning that He appeased God's holy wrath that was, that was going to be laid upon me. He appeased it by His blood. On how he, he atoned for me. He substituted himself for me and me for, for him. He took Jesus Christ's blood, took away my sin. And the sin that I rightly deserve for being a sinner. The sin that I rightly deserve even today if it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and until the Holy Spirit starts pointing people in that direction, in whatever group you're in, you got to understand you have to at least question and test the Spirit's. Let me get to the back of the outline as we, were, as we were talking about this, because first and foremost, well, you know, we did talk about do not despise prophecies. Number two, prophecies, again, are, are it's scripture. Do not despise what, what the word of God is saying. The word of God has been laid out for us in God's word. Do not despise what God's word has said. And today, a lot of people are out there adding to God's word when the book of Revelation tells us, don't add to this word. Don't take away from it. Well, I received a prophecy from God for you. It's a fortune-telling type of a thing. And it's not a fortune-telling type of thing. Prophecy is proclaiming God's Word. God's Word is set in stone. Don't need anything else, just the Word of God. People will call you if you start saying, I just read the Word of God. Well, that's a dead letter. They'll start accusing you of not being in the new spirit, in the new revelation, in the new apostolic reformation. They'll start accusing you of not getting a fresh word from God. They'll start accusing you. You know, and most people that say this, they haven't even exhausted the word of God as of yet in order to try to get something new. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I've spoken with many, many, many godly men. And I ask them, have you gotten to the bottom of all scripture? He says, no, I can't. It just seems like every time I dive in, I find something more and I find something more. And most people that are diving into God's word, you never get to the bottom of it. So to expect something new, if you haven't even gone through what's already there, I believe it's heresy. Because God's word is sufficient. Amen. All we need is God's word. Amen. This everything that God has put together here in, in between these two leather bound folders, binder right in here this is all we need and you know most people accuse me of not wanting to hear or, or boxing God in you know we're, we're trying to uh, quench the spirit no we're not quenching the spirit we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives through his word 
And so this is why we test everything. How to test the spirit in the back of your outline. Turn, turn now to John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And as I mentioned, John is already talking about, he's already been warning us about the Antichrist. In John chapter 2, he gives us a new commandment. Beloved, I write to you a new commandment. But an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is, the, is that the word that you, have, that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. He says in John chapter 2, verse 1, that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And this new commandment in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And so John starts off by saying, okay, this new commandment, love one another, love one another. John, the same writer in the book of John, he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and he also finished writing the book of Revelation, or the letter of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the world. We're not of this world. Don't hold on to the world. Don't don't go after the things of this world. This world is not your home. You have a place in heaven. And then he's warning about the, the Antichrist in, in verse, eight, verse 18. And he's talking about the last hour and how you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come and they're, in, they're amongst us now. Antichrist. They're like Christ, but they're different. They're anti-him. Uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all that they all are not of us this explains a lot of reasons as to why it is that people backslide or fall away or go away if if they backslide fall away or go away it's because they never were part of the group see when you're securing christ your your secure your your security is secured because no one can snatch you out of the father's hand you're saved you're saved and you're saved if you're genuinely saved that's what it is somebody once said to me well you know maybe sometimes we jump out of God's hand I always respond by saying how big do you think God's hand is (laughs) I cannot get to the end of that because I am secure in his love we're studying that in on Wednesday nights if you can make it on Wednesday but but going on to uh, chapter 3 and right above chapter 3 in my verse in verse 28 of chapter 2 still it says the children of God He's talking about the children of the Antichrist and the devil and the children of God. And then in verse 11 of chapter 3, he's talking about love one another. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And he gives us a story about Cain, who was the evil one and the murderer, his brother, and murdered his brother uh, Abel. And when, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. His brothers were righteous. Uh, Abel's brothers, uh, the, the, his deeds were righteous, but Cain's were evil. And if you remember the story at the beginning of the scripture, right after Adam and Eve, they had these two sons. Abel was a tender of the flock. And uh, they were commanded to bring an offering to God by implication. We don't have that command in the Old Testament, but they brought uh, 
they brought a sacrifice to God, an offering. And because Abel was giving, uh, was tending flock, Cain was a, you know, a farmer in a sense, and he brought some of his best fruit. And it's interesting because the Bible uses some. He doesn't use the best. Or he doesn't say he brought also what God had commanded. And when, when Abel gave his, his offering, when Abel gave his offering of the sacrificial lamb or whatever it was, God was pleased. When, when Cain came in and he gave his, he says, you know what? I, I'm sorry, but that doesn't please me. You need to make something. You need to make some adjustments. And as a matter of fact, God even gave him a, a, a second chance. He says, look, why is your countenance down? Why are you so down in your heart? Evil is crouching at your door. You must master it. Take care of what you have. Own it. You messed up. Own it. And instead of owning it, what Cain did is he killed his brother. There. Now you're not going to get any sacrifice. Is basically what he said. Jesus told us, if you hate your brother, it's just like murder. You've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, do not hate your brother. Anyone who says, anyone who hates his brother is the same thing as being a murderer. And so you may not murder your brother, but if you hate him, you talk bad about him. And, and so this, this is the story that John is telling the, the people, the church that he's writing to. He says, you know, there's a lot of anger going on in the church there. And you know, you may not murder somebody, but Jesus told us, don't do that because your deeds are evil. But you got to love your brother. You got to love them. Yeah, I know you don't like them. I know he, he rubs you the wrong way, but you know, the reason God put that person in your life is so that you can get better at loving people, especially those that are unlovable. You ever notice that? You ever notice you're always surrounded by, you know, well, I don't want to say the word, but everybody's an idiot, right? Everybody's a jerk. Every, everybody, you know, and it, man, there's, God must love idiots because he sure made a lot of them and they're all in my house. Well, have you ever stopped to think maybe that's why? They, they're, they're not idiots. No, we're not. I'm not. <laughs> we're not. We're not. That's just our temperament. Sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing. We've got to be put in check. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on. But your responsibility is to love that person. But I can't love that person. Okay, I'll bring you another one. Just the same thing. So you can learn how to love that person too. I can't love that one. And guess what? God will keep bringing you unlovable people until you learn how to love. And for some of you, I'm imagining, you know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or give a testimony. You've been through a whole bunch of unlovable people. And what God is trying to teach you is to love. Because when you hate somebody, Jesus says it's just like killing them. They are offering, an, they are probably not offering up a, a sacrifice. But in your sacrifice, in your, you have to give the best. You have to give the best. And so John says you got to love one another. And then, and then right, at, right at the end of verse uh, chapter 4, chapter 3, excuse me, in, in verse 19, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandment abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now there's a break in the Bible. 
from chapter 3 to chapter 4, from verse 24 to verse 1. But in the original letter, it read just the way I read it right now. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That is a command. John just instituted here. Here's some of the things that, that, God, that God has showed us through Jesus Christ. Here's how we ought to love. We shouldn't hate Cain and Abel. And, and he's, he's making this argument. Now, you know what? There's a lot of stuff out there that you guys are listening to, and it's in your church, and I want you guys to pay attention. Here's how to set the record straight. Here's how to test the Spirit. Here's how to do this. And here, this is unfortunate that a lot of people don't even realize this portion of Scripture. They have not even heard it. People come up to us and tell us, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit told me, or God told me, oh, really? Now, how, how are you going to argue with that? God said, God said to me to tell you that you must do this and that, and all kinds of stuff. Really? Wow. You know, I talked to God this morning. He didn't say nothing to me about that. You know, how, how is that true? How is that happening in your life? Well, Paul, John says, test the spirits. And here's what he says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You want to know the spirit of truth and error? There it is. We're going to break this down. First, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you once again for giving us this portion of Scripture. I know that we jumped from 1 Thessalonians and uh, we jumped into 1 John way ahead of schedule. But Paul, but Paul told the people in Thessalonica to test everything. And it's a very good command that we ought to do. However, many of us don't know how or where to turn. How do we test everything? And John is outlining for us here, Lord, how to test the spirits. So, Father, I pray that we not only pay attention, but take note and understand that there is a test. There is something that we can do, a requirement of your testing of the spirits. So thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. how do you test the spirits? You know, the, the, the command is, is not only just for the people in Thessalonica. In Philippians chapter 3, on after, you know, one of the things I want to point out to you is that Paul tells the people in Philippi, says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These people were uh, what, they, what they were called as Judaizers. Judaizers would come in after Paul had preached the gospel. People got saved and he would leave. These guys would come in and say, okay, good. You believe in God, great. You believe in Jesus Christ, fantastic. Because that's, you have to believe in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross. However, in order to be fully into the fold, you must be circumcised. Because that's what God commanded in the Bible. Circumcision is the very next thing. People are saying, what? 
What, is, what does that even mean? I'm not Jewish. Well, in order for you to be saved, you have to be Jewish. And these Judaizers would come in and they would tell the people these various types of mysteries and, and series of things. You have to hear from God. You have to, you know, the only way that you can actually connect with God is if He comes to you in a dream or if He comes to you in a vision. You got to proclaim these things and ask these things to come in. And, and, and that's how it is that you are connected to God by these visions. But you cannot even receive those visions until you, first and foremost, get circumcised. And so they would write Paul, hey Paul, how can you tell us this? Paul would get mad, he'd write him a letter, he wrote him this letter. He says, he says, look out for the dogs. He called them dogs. He called these people that wanted to add to your salvation. As if what Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. You see, that's why the Holy Spirit always points people to Christ. Because he finished the work. And Paul says, look out for it. Not only are they dogs, he calls them evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In Philippians, later on in verses 18 and 19, chapter 3, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't even look at the cross of Christ. They don't even put attention to what Jesus Christ did. What Jesus Christ did, nobody else could do. How much more can you add to that? Well, why would you tell somebody that, well, you know, you're not yet saved because you you don't speak in tongues or because you don't do certain things or because, you know, you don't wear a suit and tie. I was told that once before. If you were really saved, you'd wear a suit and tie. So I stopped wearing the tie a long time ago. (laughs) You know, and I I wouldn't and people would come up to you. We want you to wear a tie. So I'm not going to wear a tie. I don't want to wear a tie, you know. Why, why is it that you know, people are coming up to, to you and, and sometimes telling you that these are some of the things that you must do? And Paul, with tears, say, these people are enemies of Christ. I mean, if they really love Jesus Christ, they would understand the finished work of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now we're, getting, now we're getting closer to the reason as to why people want you to follow them because they are more concerned about the worldly wealth, the things of this world, the name it and claim it, the things that the world just, that they will tell you, it just promises you all this wealth if you would just do this, where we just found out that John says, you got to get away from the world. And these people are proclaiming the world. In Matthew 24, 4 and 5, we read this last week. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in, the name, saying, in my name, saying, I am the Christ. In this portion of Scripture, the very beginning, the very first thing that Jesus says when the end times come, when the end times come, they want to know, what's the first, what, what is it, Lord? What, what, should, give us some signs of your end time. People, people hear of an earthquake, they call me, is it now the end times? They hear of wars and rumors of war. Is the end time coming? They hear of pestilence and diseases and they hear of famines and things that are going on. When COVID hit, most people are saying, okay, this is it. This is it. Jesus, is, he said these things were going to happen. And without even realizing that the very first thing Jesus says is, see that no one leads you astray. People are deceiving you. He says it again in the same chapter in verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And he says it the third time in verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Now, stop here for just a moment. These false prophets are doing these signs and and not only just signs and wonders, they perform great signs and wonders. 
Look, there's gold coming down from the ceiling. People are walking again. People are jumping up and down and various great signs and wonders that people are falling for because of the deception of these workers of mysteries, of workers of miracles. And they're doing all these great signs. And, you know, you know, I believe that God does miracles. I really do. But when you follow a lot of these people that are proclaiming these things, their, their belly is their God. And you'll, you'll see that. You'll see their appetite if you follow them closely. As to lead astray, Jesus says, if possible, even the elect. These signs and wonders and things that are taking place are so convincing that it would lead you astray even if you were elect. It could, if it was possible. It is so convincing that the world is following these signs and wonders. In, in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 and 3, God told Moses, Hey, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Don't listen to outside sources. You have everything you need right here. You know, but this is genuinely a word of God. Really? It really is. Yes. Well, maybe you should write that down. Yeah, I think I, I think I will. I did write it down, as a matter of fact. You know, and as a matter of fact, because it's a word of God, let's add it to the Bible. We'll put it in the back. We'll make another chapter and we'll call it John's testimony or Greg's, Greg's revelations. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says you're not supposed to do that. And again, if possible. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fears, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Over and over and over again. In Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. One of the things that we will teach you here is doctrine. This is doctrine. Why? Because, well, Paul says that we need to teach this doctrine so that you can avoid all these controversies. Somebody once said, you know, I don't need doctrine. All I need is Jesus. Really? Which Jesus? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Which Bible? Well, well the, the Bible Bible. Well, you want to use the uh, Mormon's Bible where the Bible teaches that Jesus and Satan are brothers? Well, Jesus and Satan aren't brothers, I know, but that's what they teach. Or you want to go to the Jehovah's Witness Bible where the, they say that the Jehovah's Witness say that he was just a good teacher. He was an emanation. They came down and, and we saw him as such. He wasn't really flesh. He's not God. But he was, you know, just an emanation. Or, or maybe we should teach out of the, uh, the Bible of, of the, more, uh, the Muslims, where the Muslims say he was just a good prophet. That's it. But he's not God. Which Bible? Well, the Holy Bible. The God of Moses and, and of Abraham and Isaac. Okay. Now you know why you need doctrine. You need doctrine. And people want to go according to their feelings. Well, I don't feel good there. It doesn't make me feel good. He makes me feel bad. He makes me feel dumb or, or whatever the case may be. Beloved, every time that we come in contact with somebody, we push the belief system of a person because there's a lot of bad teaching out there. And I'm going to show you what the Bible says. 
In, in 2 Corinthians 11.4, he says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He says, I can't believe you're doing that. Don't do that. And then he says later on in verses 13 and 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Wow, that's heavy. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come to you with horns and fangs and a tail and a pitchfork. That's only in the movies, beloved. It really is. He don't come to you and says, give me your heart so I can just rip it out of your chest and chew on it and just spit it out and throw it on the ground and stomp on it and just annihilate you. And then I'm going to go after your children and their children. He doesn't come to you that way. He doesn't come to you that way. That's how people, that's how Hollywood puts it up. Satan comes to you and says, come here, I got a better plan for you. You know, this is something good. You're going to like this. Oh, it's going to just fill every desire of your heart. Come to this church because they are doing some amazing things. Some of the greatest things that you can ever imagine. And don't worry about it if you don't know the Bible. We will teach you what you need to know. We'll get you there. And, and it is so subtle but, but so on point that a lot of people are deceived. Because he disguises himself as an angel of light. So Paul says so no, it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They say the right thing. They say the good things. They don't say the truth. In Jude 1, uh, for, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were dis, de, uh, designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Our culture has gone deep. It started 50 years ago and it's gone deep into the educational system. It's gone deep into the government. It's gone deep into the church and it's gone deep. And now that it's gotten deep, it's starting to go wide. Why? Because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And they crept in and they, they subtly started to change things within the leadership of the churches. And the, the, the people started to get this idea and this thought that, you know, God loves everybody. And it's all about love. And if you really love that person, you should marry him. And you should marry that person as well, you know, and, and let it just be. Who are these dogmatic, doctrinal teaching Christians to tell you you cannot do that? Because God is love. He hates the sin, yeah, but, you know, he loves the sinner. Unfortunate, beloved, it's the sinner that he sends to hell. Right alongside with the sin. In Ephesians 4, he says, so that we may no longer be tossed back and fro. You need to know your doctrine, so this way you're not bounced back and forth. What does the Bible say? What does it teach? Well, how do I do this? And so the command, John, 1 John 4, 1, is to do not believe every spirit, but to test it. The Holy Spirit, number one, exalts Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not exalt himself. The Holy Spirit does not bring attention to himself. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
And there are a lot of people that confess that Jesus Christ came from God. There's a lot of people that focus upon Jesus Christ and they, they look at Jesus Christ, but then they turn it around and they take off on a different direction. Jesus himself said in 1526, John 1526, but when the helper comes whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then in, in uh, 1613, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. How do you judge that? How do you know what, that the Holy Spirit is speaking on Jesus Christ's own authority? Well, this is why we know this. This is why we get in here. So what did Jesus say? How did he say it? What did he, what did he mean by that? For God so loved the world, he loved everybody. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, well, everybody believes. Even Satan's not an atheist. Did you know that? Everybody believes in God. You know, you know so, so does that mean that everybody goes to heaven? Does that mean, he's talking about the whole world, and the whole world believes. Most people, even though they deny it, they still believe that there's a God. Heck, the Bible says in James tells us that even the demons believe. So are they going to make it to heaven? We need to understand what that word believes means. What does he mean by believe? What does he mean by the whole world? And that's what we're studying in, in, on Wednesday nights. See, in John 16, 14, he will glorify me, the Holy Spirit, he says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The second thing John says to the people in the church, he said, number two, that the Holy Spirit opposes the world. The Holy Spirit opposes the world. Any spirit that focuses on the world cannot be the Spirit of God. Beloved, I don't care how much they try to twist the scriptures. This culture is corrupt and it's corrupted the church. This culture is telling members and churches and, and they're ordaining homosexuals and they're admitting transgenders. And you have all these. There was a church in New York City that had this pastor come up. He was a drag queen, was having drag queen hour with the children of the church. It's acceptable because the world is telling you that and they love the world. And they love what the world has to say. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. You want to get some good attention? Well, start thinking like the world. Start getting involved in politics. Start getting involved with the city council and talk just like them. Hey, we like this guy, Pastor Sal. He's right alongside with us. What else do you have to say? And you know what? You want a lot of people? We can get a lot of people here if we talk like the world. John just told us, do not love the world for the love of the world, for all that's in the world, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. All of it. Those three things, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three things cover every sin that is in this world. We don't have time to go over that, but, and that's, that's what he said. And that's what he said in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You know, it's interesting how a lot of churches say, you know, you can have all these riches. You can have all this fame. You can have all this comfort. You can have, look what I got. Because the world wants to give it to you if you just submit to the world. Just give in to the world. I mean, who doesn't want that? 
Who doesn't want comfort and, and peace? You know what Jesus Christ said? He said, you know, you want to be my disciples? Well, foxes have holes and birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to be my disciple? Come on. I'm, I'm promising you nothing except for eternal life. You get nothing out of this world. As a matter of fact, if you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the world is going to hate you. Amen. They will hate you. Jesus says, they hated me first. So they will hate you. Come on. That's not a very popular message to preach, beloved. It's not very popular, but I'm going to give it to you. I have 20 reasons as to why you should not follow the world or love the world. Very quickly, because the Holy Spirit has forbidden us. Because the gain, because the gain of it, of this world, you lose your soul. Jesus said, well, which one of you, by, by gaining the whole world, but yet lose his soul? Why would you want to do that? How would it profit a man if you were to gain everything, yet lose his soul? Uh, number three, because it's friendship is hatred with God. James said that himself. Number four, because it, it, the world does not know Christ. Number five, because the world hates Christ. Number six, because Christ did not pray for it. In John 17, we will see on Wednesday night that as Jesus is praying the, his priestly prayer, he says, I pray for these and not for those of the world. I do not pray for them. I'm only praying for these because Christ's people do not belong to it in 1716 because it will not receive the spirit. Number nine, because it's the prince, because it's the prince, the prince of this world is Satan. Number 10, because Christ's kingdom is not of it. Number 11, because it's wisdom is foolishness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. It's folly. Do not love the world because the world is ignorant. Number, uh, Christ does not belong to it. It is condemned. The fashion of it will pass away. Uh, the, the world killed Jesus Christ. It crucifies us and we ought to crucify it. And the seat of wickedness is in this world and it's God is the evil one. If you have just one of those and understand that's why you shouldn't love this world. We are to be in the world, but not a part of the world. And see, when you test the Spirit, the Spirit is, is causing you to see always, number one, that it opposes the world. The Spirit is telling you, you know, okay, when you test this, is it opposing the world or is it lining up with the world? Is it lining up with its culture, with its philosophy, with its ideas, with, its, with, with all its treasures and its gold and everything else? Or is it telling me to get away from the world and get closer to the cross? Number three, the Holy Spirit focuses on Scripture. In, in, chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 4, 1 John, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And what John was writing and what the apostles were writing and what everybody was writing was the word of the spirit. And here's how you're going to know. Here's how you're going to know if this spirit is from God. Because you listen to John. You listen to Paul. You listen to Mark, to James, to every one of the apostles, to every single word in Scripture, not something else. Because what he says here is if you listen to them and you listen to the word, then we know that it's the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error. Because I don't care how close it is to Scripture. As a matter of fact, if it aligns with Scripture and it sounds good, then I don't need it. Because I got this. Amen? You know, but if it, it doesn't align with Scripture and it's way off, then I don't want it. And it is amazing how a lot of people just fall prey to what any pastor, evangelist, prophet, woman that gets up to preach would believe. Just because they said, thus says the Lord. Well, did it happen? Well, no, I kind of messed up. Well, then you should be dead. Where's the rocks? We need to stone this woman. 
No, not with drugs. We need to stone this person. And not with alcohol, you know. We need to get this person stoned. Well, we're not going to do that today, but, you know, we leave it up to God now. All we need to do is test it. And if it doesn't pass the test, we just say, no, thank you. We don't have to be mean and ugly. We just, you know, deny it. We don't want anything to do with that. You know, because that's exactly what's going to happen. Number four, the Holy Spirit elevates the truth. Elevates the truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Because the Holy Spirit is going to elevate the truth. And, and, and once you're in scripture, once you know the truth, once, and if anything false comes along, it's kind of like the, the bank tellers. They don't go out and study every counterfeit bill that's on the market. They study the real, genuine $100 bill. They look at it. They feel it. They smell it. They measure it. They, they feel how heavy it is. They look at it sideways, backwards, through the light, under whatever the case may be. And they have a really good touch to it. So when anything counterfeit comes in, they go, that's not real. That's not real. Beloved, that's what we are trying to do here today. To help you to see the truth. Because the scripture says that the spirit of truth elevates the truth and not the spirit of error. And then the last thing I want to share with you is that the Holy Spirit produces love for God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The Holy Spirit, it produces that love. That unlovable person that you have in your life, God produces it for you. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. You know? And if you have somebody in your midst or in a group or whatever, it's, ah, just forget about them. You know, just that backstab them. They backstabbed you, backstab them. You know, if, if they're con- continuously just, you know, dogging you or disrespecting you, disrespect them back. That's not love. But unfortunately, that's exactly what the world teaches. Now, I'm not saying that you need to trust the person. As a Christian, as a believer, my responsibility is to forgive. Point blank. You wrong me? Fine. You know what? I forgive you. Well, I'm not asking for, for forgiveness. It's okay. I forgive you anyways. Okay, well, you know, but that doesn't mean I have to let them back in my life. I don't have to let you back in my life to destroy my life, to destroy my world, to, to hurt me, to, you know, that's, trust is a different issue. Forgiveness is a must for a believer, but trust you know what? I, I, just, I just can't trust you. Jesus Christ didn't trust the people. Not until it was time that he show himself. As a matter of fact, they wanted to make him king. And he went right through him. He says, I don't trust these people's motives. They want me to be king for something because I fed them. And he slipped right through them. They tried to kill him before the due time. He slipped right through them again. He didn't trust them. And it wasn't until it was time that he did this march, this glorious march into Jerusalem. And it wasn't until it was time. Jesus says, okay, now it's time. Now I'm going to trust in the Father that you are going to do what needs to be done. Trust is a different issue, beloved. And you don't have to trust people that are mean, that are ugly, that are destructive in your life. You don't have to have anything to do with them. You just, you, you, you love them from the curb. If you've tried to counsel with them, if you tried to reach them with the gospel, if you tried to love on them, and whatever the case may be, and they don't want it, then, you know, I, I forgive you. If they keep burning you and burning you, well, they burn you once, you know, they burn you twice. After three times, it's kind of like, okay, now you're liking it. Now you like to just be a martyr. I can't believe what they did to me again. Again? How many times, well, they've been doing this since uh, they were 20. How old are they now? About 50. They've been doing it to me all my life. Well, you know, I think it's time somewhere. You got to, you're not to be a doormat. As a matter of fact, you would help them more 
if you would help them by not letting you letting them be letting you be drug into their drama. They cause all this drama. Then they get mad because you respond. What's wrong with you? Jeez. It produces love. And you love them. And you continue to love them. And you continue to encourage them and, and want to help them in, in other ways than giving them what they want. But you don't have to let them back in your life. That's how you know you have, you have that's how you test the Spirit. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus Christ. Is it exalting Jesus Christ or is this spirit exalting himself? The Holy Spirit opposes the world. You know, is this spirit telling you to get more of the world? The Holy Spirit focuses on scripture instead of outside revelation, a divine word of, uh, of, you know, a dream. The Holy Spirit elevates the truth and the Holy Spirit produces love for God and for others as well. Let me ask you to stand. You know, this, this teaching here, it's difficult for a person that has not yet committed their life to Christ. You see, this is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, at least for us, it is difficult to get the gospel message into people's hearts. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Because I know deep down inside, everybody wants to be able to do this. You know, but there are those that are just so hard-hearted. You know, I don't want to change my life. I like my life the way it is, and I want to keep doing what I want to do. And you know what God does? He says, do it. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans chapter 1 says, and He gives you more of what you want. You want to be depraved? Here's some more depravity. You want to be in that wickedness? Well, here's some more. And he gives you what you want. That's how he hardens your heart. But the message of the gospel is that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. I don't pretend to be anything else but that. A sinner saved by grace. And that Jesus Christ fulfilled that fulfillment of the sacrifice. We don't have to come to the temple anymore and give a blood offering because Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. And if you understand that and you realize that and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, He wants to regenerate your heart, you just, and he, as He regenerates your heart, my response is, have mercy upon me, Lord. I don't deserve that grace. But He wants to give it to you. He wants to give you eternal life. Respond in such manner today. Father in heaven, thank you once again for the mercy and grace that you've given us. Lord, you don't give us what we deserve. And that's mercy. We deserve to be chastised and punished. And many times over in the things that we've said and done, that I've said and done, I should have been chastised, at least disciplined, if not annihilated. But not only did you not give me what I deserve, you gave me something that is undeserving, eternal life. A wretched sinner like myself. And I know that you want to do that with every person here this morning. Father, I pray that you walk us through that process. Help us to cry out, as Peter did, depart from me for I am a sinful man. As Isaiah did did in in Isaiah chapter 6, I am a wretched man. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It is your mercy and grace that saves us, not by what I do, by who I am, by the church I go to, but only by you. And I pray that upon your people today so that we in turn can learn how to test the Spirit with your word. Thank you, Father, once again for your love. And this time that we share together, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen and amen. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer.